chapter three of the private soldier under washington by charles knowles walton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter three material needs a column of infantry in a country highway giving a touch of color and life to the landscape might well fire the pulse of any lad and at the opening of the revolution the glamour of military service supplementing as it did the patriotic spirit caused the volunteer army about boston to increase in numbers from day to day coming from the hills and plains until the british looked out upon a besieging camp but experience as it ever does cooled the pulse and cleared the brain then the country boy began to examine the soldier's knapsack and the size of his blanket washington shows in his revolutionary correspondence that he knew these simple things and when mutiny and desertion alarmed the colonies he sought the only permanent remedy a greater degree of comfort for his men the soldier's bed was often under the stars of heaven or the clouds of a threatening storm if he was fortunate enough to possess a tent he fared better but did not always escape the rain the conversation recorded by a connecticut surgeon expresses a condition which was far too frequent good morning brother soldier how are you all wet i thank ye says the other hope you art so when the sun reappeared after a storm tents were struck for a few hours to let the ground dry and were pitched again at nightfall few troops had suitable covering at the camp in cambridge in seventeen seventy five except the troops from rhode island their tents were according to rev mr emerson in the most exact english style for the most part the shelters were as dissimilar in form as the men were in dress and each one was somewhat of an index to the character of its owner some were of boards and others of sailcloth some a combination of both while stones brush and turf were forced into service huts made of fence rails sod and straw could not be moved to dry or clear the ground but they were in winter warmer than tents boards were used for floors when they were to be had and also for the construction of the huts if there was a sawmill near the camp otherwise logs did duty as in pioneer days with the interstices filled with clay moss or straw each hut was supposed to have two windows it could be built in about two weeks and the company officers not infrequently lent a hand in rude cabins like these arranged in lines which extended back from the cycle about one and a half miles the greater part of washington's army passed the winter months at valley forge beset from without by sleet and wind from within by heat and smoke until the eyes of the men smarted almost beyond endurance the situation of the camp had much to do with the health and comfort of the men five sarcastic reasons for the selection of valley forge as a place in which to pass the winter of seventeen seventy seven seventy eight are worthy of record first there is plenty of wood and water secondly there are but few families for the soldiery to steal from though far be it from a soldier to steal thirdly uh, not given fourthly there are warm sides of hills to erect huts on fifthly they will be heavenly minded like jonah when in the belly of a great fish sixthly they will not become homesick as is sometimes the case when men live in the open world since the reflections which must naturally arise from their present habitation will lead them to the more noble thoughts of employing their leisure hours in filling their knapsacks with such materials as may be necessary on the journey to another home 
dressing and the morning meal were events which varied in importance for at times there was little to wear and less to eat in the campaign about white marsh in december seventeen seventy seven a soldier remarked we had no tents nor anything to cook our provisions in and that was pretty poor for beef was very lean and no salt nor any way to cook it but to throw it on the coals and brile it and the water we had to drink and to mix our flour with was out of a brook that run along by the camps and so many a dippin and washin in it which made it very dirty and muddy the cooking was often done by soldiers from each company for men who had skill in any direction were soon called upon to perform special service nothing remarkable this day a private relates only i was chose cook for our room consisting of twelve men and a hard game too sometimes there were no more than two kettles in which to prepare the meals for a company the meat was broiled over the fire spitted on a bayonet and the bread was baked in the hot ashes the men counted themselves fortunate if they could dine in peace at the siege of boston a man was quietly eating his bread and milk when a cannonball struck near by and so covered the bowl with flying dirt that he could eat no more the following daily allowance or ration was authorized by the third provincial congress june tenth seventeen seventy five one one pound of bread two half a pound of beef and half a pound of pork and if pork cannot be had one pound and a quarter of beef and one day and seven they shall have one pound and one quarter of salt fish instead of one day's allowance of meat three one pint of milk or if milk cannot be had one gill of rice four one quart of good spruce or malt beer five one gill of peas or beans or other sauce equivalent six six ounces of good butter per week seven one pound of good common soap for six men per week eight half a pint of vinegar per week per man if it can be had during the siege of boston all allowances for the week were delivered on wednesday unless the number of regiments made it necessary to serve a part of the army on other days in the winter months corned beef and pork were given out four days a week a pound and a half of the former and eighteen ounces of the latter per diem onions at two and eight pence a bushel and potatoes or turnips at one and four pence a bushel might be substituted for peas or beans the ration authorized by washington at valley forge in the spring of seventeen seventy eight called for one and a half pounds of flour or bread one pound of beef or fish or three-quarter pound of pork and one gill of whiskey or spirits or one and a half pounds of flour one half pound of pork or bacon one half pint of peas or beans and one gill of whiskey or spirits these amounts were varied according to the state of the stores in camp washington writing to the president of congress june twenty eighth seventeen seventy six estimated the cost of a ration at eight pence york currency or a trifle more in the report of the committee on the commissary department agreed to by congress june tenth seventeen seventy seven a ration was to be considered as worth ten ninetieths of a dollar or a little over eleven cents when the army was in camp a market was established where farmers were allowed to offer their produce for sale and one settling booth was permitted within each brigade's limits where liquor might be sold at fixed prices 
milk was brought in from the country for the sick whenever it could be had but the exorbitant sums asked by farmers were a frequent source of vexation and privation at peekskill general putnam in seventeen seventy seven fixed the prices of provisions and made the penalty for buying articles at prices above those authorized the forfeiture of the produce or the value in money later when milk could not be obtained at sixpence a quart an officer and thirty men were detailed from each regiment to collect cows sufficient in number to supply the needs of the army and to care for them until the owners would agree to the terms fixed by the general the army often suffered from the scarcity of vegetables because perishable food could not be carried as readily as beef in sullivan's campaign against the six nations of indians the men fared well nuts and melons are mentioned in many diaries and also corn or maize which was ripe when the invading columns reached the first indian villages after corn became too old to boil or roast it was converted into meal tin kettles found in the red man's huts were perforated and used to grate the kernels and every fourth man not on guard it is said sat up at night to play the part of miller this meal was mixed with hot pumpkin or boiled squash and kneaded into cakes which were baked in the coals food of this kind was of great importance in preventing the diseases which arise from a steady diet of meat so great occasionally was the need of vegetables that a commander felt justified in ordering each regiment to prepare ground and plant seed on the chance that headquarters would not be moved before the time of harvest congress meanwhile urged the colonies to encourage agricultural societies when provisions were scarce the allowance per man was reduced sometimes to a half pound of flour a day a half pound of beef with five gills of salt to a hundred pounds of beef at times the soldiers had no vinegar at other times no vegetables or bread in the midst of distracting quarrels among jealous officers washington sent out appeals for aid writing our soldiers the greatest part of last campaign and the whole of this have scarcely tasted any kind of vegetables had but little salt and vinegar which would have been a tolerable substitute for vegetables having been in a great measure strangers to neither have they been provided with proper drink beer or cider seldom comes within the verge of the camp and rum in much too small quantities thus to devouring large quantities of animal food untempered by vegetables or vinegar or by any kind of drink but water and eating indifferent bread are to be ascribed the many putrid diseases incident to the army in the winter of seventeen seventy nine and seventeen eighty the army was sometimes for five or six days without bread often as long without meat and once or twice two or three days without either men in the arnold expedition against quebec many a night lay down without food in captain goodrich's company several became very weak from hunger and at last captain dearborn gave them his pet dog the soldiers carried the poor creature away and ate every part of his flesh not excepting his entrails two other dogs were eaten the same day a story is told of two soldiers in another campaign who being out of provisions put a stone in their camp kettle when a certain colonel wines was expected the colonel soon stopped before their fire and inquired well men anything to eat not much they replied what have you in that kettle a stone colonel for they say there is some strength in stones if you can only get it out 
this guileless conversation had the desired effect for the officer declared that they must have something better to eat in times of distress it was vexing to find that the wagon drivers had ruined the pork by drawing out the brine to lighten the load or to see a clumsy fellow endeavouring to guide through the marshy road four or five horses attached to a wagon from which barrels of flour and other perishable provisions tumbled into the mud at harlem heights soon after the battle of long island the general saw about the camp large pieces of fine beef left untouched to putrefy in the sun the food was frequently poorly cooked from a scarcity of wood for the fires and the few trees near a camp were the source of angry disputes i thought said washington one day that different regiments were upon the point of cutting each other's throats for a few standing locusts near our encampment to dress their victuals with the quartermaster-general was instructed to investigate complaints regarding food and to punish careless cooks and bakers in wayne's command each regiment or corps had an officer appointed weekly whose duty it was to visit the kitchen or place for cooking in every company to see that the work was properly done and that meat was boiled not fried it was recommended that flour be drawn from the stores two days in each week so that small dumplings could be made for the soup when the kitchen had no roof but the sky the soup was often too thoroughly permeated with burnt leaves and dirt to be palatable better cooking especially baking became a pressing necessity finally all bakers were placed under a director without whose license no baker could work for the army a year later a company of bakers was authorized to consist of seventy-five men and a director who was to receive fifty dollars a month and three rations a day the beef was poor all through the winter of seventeen seventy seven seventy eight so lean and thin that it became a matter of jest a butcher who wore white buttons on the knees of his breeches was seen bearing a quarter of beef into camp there tom cried a soldier is some more of our fat beef by my soul i can see the butcher's breeches buttons through it it is not strange that the doctor who records this conversation was fervently grateful for a good stomach that he might endure fire-cake and water for breakfast with water and fire-cake for dinner at evening the cry could be heard along the line of soldier huts at valley forge no meat no meat that the men under these conditions still showed a spirit of alacrity and contentment was marvellous were soldiers to have plenty of food and rum wrote dr waldo i believe they would storm Tophet. the fare of the enemy was not always better than that of the continental soldiers if confidence may be placed in the remark of a diarist that biscuit taken from the british regulars were hard enough for flints the question of a sufficient supply of good food was of the first importance and was seemingly as little understood by politicians of the day as was the effect of clothing on enlistments or of enlistment for short periods on the success of a campaign washington estimated that thirty thousand men would require for twelve months at least two hundred thousand barrels of flour and forty million pounds of meat to obtain these supplies each year was one of the great tasks imposed upon the commander-in-chief and had confidence in washington not grown from year to year and made his appeals effective the revolutionary war must have failed to prevent the entire dissolution of the small permanent force which was deemed necessary during the winter months of inactivity 
food had to be saved for the support of these men that should have been available to maintain the militia when called upon for important enterprises the method adopted to obtain supplies was simple in theory the amount of flour meat and other necessities to be procured was apportioned to the various colonies to be collected transported and deposited at such places within the respective colonies or states as the commander-in-chief might from time to time designate the same lack of a central authority strong enough to use force which made it next to impossible to collect clothing draft men raise money or punish deserters played havoc with the commissary department but when washington in his vigorous earnest appeals stirred the people near at hand they never failed him the crises were always safely passed and the war went on to the end next in value to good food may be placed clothing upon which depended largely the health degree of cleanliness and soldierly pride of the army frequent wars throughout the colonies from the earliest times had fostered the military spirit along the atlantic coastline and inland frontier towns at the outbreak of the revolution militia and independent companies were to be found in all the colonies and styles of uniform were almost as numerous as company organizations from the simple dress of the new england alarm list companies to the elaborate costumes of the private corps in new york philadelphia or virginia was a long step and thus it happened that the levies raised from time to time on short enlistments to reinforce the continental army formed a motley gathering in the ranks at the siege of boston were men dressed as savages as backwoodsmen's and some with uniforms not unlike those of the british regulars the general hue of the ranks however not only in the campaign before boston but through much the larger part of the war was sombre and can best be indicated by saying that the browns and greens predominated congress seems to have recognized this in an order to the commissioners at the court of france in seventeen seventy seven to send uniforms of green blue and brown colors the popular blue and buff were not worn by the continental rank and file from new england or the south and the new york and new jersey troops for whom the combination was designated between seventeen seventy nine and seventeen eighty two were much of the time destitute of cloth of the proper colors during the opening months of the revolution the troops that had no distinctive uniform were as far as possible clothed as washington suggested in a hunting shirt a long loose coat and in long breeches to which were attached gaiters or small cloths buttoned at the sides and held down by straps under the shoes the gaiters or leggings were often made of tow-cloth which had been steeped in a tan vat until it became the color of a dry leaf this uniform was sometimes called the rifle dress there were ruffles of the same material around the neck and on the bottom of the coat on the shoulders at the elbows and about the wrists the hat was round and dark with a broad rim turned up in three places in one of which there was usually a cockade of some color or a sprig of green a white belt over the left shoulder held the cartouche box a black cloth or stock went about the neck and the hair was bound in a queue at the back this costume was in the minds of the british associated with a skilful marksman and washington in the summer of seventeen seventy six urged its importance in these words 
it is a dress which is justly supposed to carry no small terror to the enemy who think every such person a complete marksman at bunker hill a rifleman standing upon the earthworks was noticed by an englishman to have shot as many as twenty of howe's officers before he fell and in the saratoga campaign ambury watching the effect of their fire attributed to the americans a love of killing the british had reason therefore to fear the rifleman's dress the provincial congress of massachusetts resolved july five seventeen seventy five to provide thirteen thousand coats faced with the material of the coat without lapels short and with small folds each regiment to have its number on the pewter buttons the general orders from headquarters at cambridge july twenty four seventeen seventy five recommended indian leggings instead of stockings as washington hoped to obtain from the continental congress a hunting shirt for each man leggings were also warmer than stockings more lasting and could be had in uniform color congress on november fourth seventeen seventy five resolved to provide clothing for the army to be paid for by stoppages out of the soldiers wages at the same time it was ordered that as much as possible the cloth be dyed brown and the distinction in regiment be indicated by the color of the facing it will be noticed that there was little attempt to introduce bright colors which were less serviceable and less easy to obtain in the campaign about new york in seventeen seventy six many soldiers had no uniforms and these men were provided with hunting shirts in october seventeen seventy six congress voted to give annually to each soldier who would enlist for the war a suit of clothes to consist that year of two linen hunting shirts two pair of overalls a leathern or woolen waistcoat with sleeves one pair of breeches a hat or leather cap two shirts two pair of hose and two pair of shoes writing to governor trumbull in january seventeen seventy eight washington gave his opinion on a serviceable form of clothing and added a word as to the value of trousers now so universally adopted i would recommend a garment of the pattern of the sailors for jacket this sets close to the body and by buttoning double over the breast adds much to the warmth of the soldier there may be a small cape and cuff of a different color to distinguish the corps as the overall is much preferable to breeches i would recommend as many of them as possible the difference desirable in winter and in summer is shown in the following letter in june should be given a waistcoat with sleeves flannel if to be had two pair of linen overalls one shirt a black stock of hair or leather a small round hat bound and a pair of shoes in january a waistcoat to be worn over the former close in the skirts and double-breasted resembling a sailor's to have a collar and cuff of a different color in order to distinguish the regiment a pair of breeches woolen overalls yarn stockings shirt woolen cap and a blanket when really necessary watch-coats ought if possible to be provided for sentinels trousers or overalls were more and more recognized as necessary and congress by a resolution of march twenty three seventeen seventy nine directed washington to fix and prescribe a uniform for the soldiers being governed by the supply woolen overalls for winter and linen for summer to be substituted for the breeches the adoption of blue coats followed in the fall 
for in general orders dated at moore's house october second seventeen seventy nine the commander ordered that the coats of the infantry be blue with white linings and buttons the new england troops were to be distinguished by white facings those of new york and new jersey by buff facings those of pennsylvania delaware maryland and virginia by facings of red and the troops of the carolinas and georgia by blue with buttonholes edged with white tape or lace the artillery coats were to be faced and lined with scarlet they were to be edged with tape as well as the buttonholes and the buttons and hat bands were to be of yellow finally the light dragoons or cavalry were to be distinguished by blue coats with white facings linings and buttons it will be noticed that blue and buff had no standing in eleven of the thirteen states although blue now became the military color of the united states signs of merit common to all parts of the country were adopted toward the close of the war in august seventeen eighty two washington directed that a non-commissioned officer or a private who had served honorably for more than three uninterrupted years should be permitted to wear upon the left sleeve of the uniform coats a narrow angular piece of cloth of the color of the regimental facing for six years of service a parallel stripe might be added unusually meritorious action earned for the soldier a purple heart of silk or cloth edged with lace or binding to be worn on the facing over the left breast the uniforms of all the infantry and cavalry were later ordered to be blue faced with red and lined with white the buttons also to be white this order from the scarcity of scarlet cloth did not prove effective until the war closed the revolution quickened the production of cloth duck russia sheeting tow-cloth osnaburgs tickleburgs as it did that of shoes gunpowder and firearms throughout the country towns women carded and spun the wool and flax which their husbands provided and the cotton which came from the west indies then they themselves or itinerant weavers wove the flannel linen and corduroy in new england they usually received but values are not very easy to set down five or six pence a skein of fifteen knots about a yard and a half and their day's work of from two to five skeins brought the value of five or ten pounds of beef or to state it again one or two good dinners at the tavern prices in virginia in seventeen seventy six varied greatly john harrower a scot mentions in his diary a payment of five shillings a pound for spun cotton to run eight yards per pound or about seven pence a yard weaving brought the same or a less amount many towns had mills for producing cloth and the business of supplying the army grew rapidly the campaign of seventeen seventy five however was fought by men who had no clothing at hand suitable for very cold weather and in many cases no blankets between their bodies and the ground the insufficient clothing was more serious in the expedition led by montgomery in the autumn of seventeen seventy five to montreal his proclamation promising every article of clothing requisite for the rigors of the climate was intended to satisfy the men who were willing to go forward it shows that they might expect blanket coats coats waistcoats breeches one pair of stockings two shirts leggings sacks shoes mittens and a cap the way to canada might be said to have been paved with promises and it proved to be a rough road 
in december seventeen seventy six washington referred to the distresses of his soldiers many of them being entirely naked and more so thinly clad as to be unfit for service the hardships of the year before had dampened the enthusiasm of the farmers and enlistments fell off the men had ragged shirts and many marched with their feet bare a few days of active service resulted in sickness for want of proper covering at night and lameness for lack of shoes many deserted impelled by indignation at what was believed to be the bad faith and indifference of the colonial assemblies colonel angel of rhode island writing from peekskill in august seventeen seventy seven to the governor of his state declared that the condition of his regiment was so scandalous that the members of the other corps and people in the villages along the line of march called his men the ragged lousy naked regiment these troubles reached their worst form in the winter at valley forge in seventeen seventy seven seventy eight and in the summer which followed the new york gazette at this time reported humorously that congress was not prevented from making more paper dollars by scarcity of rags for independent of the large supply expected from washington's army as soon as they can be spared we have reason to believe the country in general never abounded more in that article the dress of the soldiers was a favorite subject for jest in one form or another among the british a poem addressed to washington who had issued a proclamation to the people calling upon them to fatten their cattle for his army has the lines and for the beef uh, there needs no puff about it in short they must content themselves without it not that we mean to have them starved why marry the livestock in abundance which they carry upon their backs prevents all fear of that upward of two thousand men were unfit for service in november seventeen seventy seven in december there were two thousand eight hundred and ninety eight men in camp unfit for duty many with no shoes and some without shirts many were confined to hospitals and farmhouses with feet too sore to bear unprotected the winter snows when the trampled mud froze suddenly the rough ridges were like knives and although men cut up their blankets and bound the strips about their feet the flesh was soon as unprotected as before still others in their huts sat by the fire through the night and dozed unwilling to lie far enough from the coals to sleep a fourth or fifth of the army passed the summer of seventeen seventy eight about white plains without shoes and many with tattered shirts and breeches the winter of seventeen seventy nine eighty was endured by many without suitable covering at night and it is not strange that the young men in the country towns demanded exorbitant bounty money when asked to enlist in the following spring if the continental congress could have offered good clothing and sufficient food soldiers might have been found for little or no bounty a vivid picture of virginia troops is given by thomas ambury in his untrustworthy but readable book of travels the writer claims that the colonel was proud of their appearance and went about with two troopers before and two behind him bearing drawn swords ambury writes as to those troops of colonel bland's virginia regiment with washington's army i cannot say anything but the two that the colonel has with him here for the purposes of expresses and attendants are the most curious figures you ever saw 
some like prince pretty man with one boot some hoseless with their feet peeping out of their shoes others with breeches that put decency to the blush some in short jackets some in long coats but all have fine dragoon caps and long swords slung around them some with holsters some without but god a mercy pistols for they have not a brace and a half among them but they are tolerably well mounted while considering the lack of clothing washington wrote to general lincoln what makes the matter more mortifying is that we have i am positively assured ten thousand complete suits ready in france and laying there because our public agents cannot agree whose business it is to ship them a quantity has also lain in the west indies for more than eighteen months owing probably to some such cause the effect of this kind of official inaction upon the private may be illustrated by an old soldier's experience which he described to the historian of the first new hampshire regiment this man had at the time of these troubles a furlough to visit his home but the journey was a long one before he could start he was obliged to spend two days in cutting up his blanket to make for himself breeches and a pair of moccasins two months before the siege of yorktown began the men were so destitute of clothing that the french troops encamped near by made jokes on the nudity of the continentals yet such was their loyalty to the cause of the colonies that when two ships from spain arrived with supplies and some of the coats were found to be red in colour like those worn by the british the americans ill-clad as they were refused to wear them a humorous view of the veterans was taken by the peaceable man as he styled himself when he ventured to prophesy that if the war is continued through the winter the british troops will be scared at the sight of our men for as they never fought with naked men the novelty of it will terrify them times changed however and the winter of seventeen eighty two eighty three was passed at newburgh in comfort the men were better fed well clothed and sheltered ragged uniforms and poor food for a long time not only discouraged enlistments but injured the efficiency of the men in the service soldiers grumbled and if they did not come to open mutiny they grew careless about their appearance and negligent in their habits our men washington wrote in the orders of the day for january one seventeen seventy six are brave and good men who with pleasure it is observed are addicted to fewer vices than are commonly found in armies if a soldier cannot be induced to take pride in his person he will soon become a sloven and indifferent to everything else whilst we have men therefore who in every respect are superior to mercenary troops they are fighting for two pence or three pence a day why cannot we in appearance also be superior to them when we fight for life liberty property and our country End of chapter three